eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Lots to talk about in this episode. We'll try to work quickly through all of our topics. We will be discussing Michigan's Big Ten championship victory and kind of the main takeaways, what it means, what's next. Obviously, we'll talk about what's next, too in that they made the college football playoff. We'll take a peek at the field as well as uh, early peek at the matchup against Georgia. There'll be, we'll probably end up doing two podcasts previewing Georgia specifically and and kind of our impressions there. Lots of content as well. If if this doesn't cover everything you want, lots of written content over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. And be sure we now have our, our our recruiting podcast, and our basketball co- podcasts are in full swing. This one, this one will switch to basketball uh, on occasion, but but you know, for, as long as the football team is the the main topic of discussion, we'll be discussing football, which is what we will do right now. Steve, uh, huge huge victory for the Wolverines on Saturday. They beat Iowa forty two to three. Really, the first team to blow out Iowa in any capacity since the 2015 Rose Bowl, you know, when they played Stanford. And if you look throughout their history, they're, they're not quite at Wisconsin's level, but they're in a similar state where they just, they really don't get blown out. It was, it was the first time in 34 games that Iowa had given up more than 27 points in a game. And it was the first time since that Rose Bowl, they'd given up more than 41 points in a game. Very much a, a demolition Thought the defense was elite. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But but really, the first thing that, that I think we should discuss is, is just the significance of this win for, the, for Michigan. It's their first Big Ten title in 17 years. Everyone is probably sick of hearing about that stat. Uh, first 12-win season since 1997. Only the third overall, actually. But they didn't always play 12 games. But still, really the first time Michigan has, has gone into... December gone into the bowl season with the chance to win a national title since 97 or really that's there aren't that many other times in history that that they would I think I added it up one time and in the last 45 years whatever it is however many years it's been they this would only be their eighth time ending the regular season or conference regular season as a top four team so really uh, I a special season for the Wolverines. And I think one thing that, that really makes it special was the unpredictability of it. You know, they were, they were coming off a two and four season. Now they're in the final four. I think, you know, we, we talked all season about Ohio state didn't look quite like the machine that they looked like in 2019 and 2020, but I don't think any of us predicted uh, Michigan to beat Ohio State, but you know they had them at home. They had they have this kind of senior nucleus that that connected in the right way. They've got a lot of guys who really are built to overachieve. Hassan Haskins, Cade McNamara, you know Ronnie Bell was injured, but I think he's kind of set the culture in that wide receiver room. You know, along the offensive line, you, you know, Andrew Vistardis is a is a team captain. He's a six year walk on on the defensive side of the ball. Lots of just breakout players. Lots of guys that. Steve, you and I were were annoyed because we'd see them in high school and we'd say, oh, man, they're going to be really, really impressive at Michigan. And, and we'd hear you know rumblings about how they look really good as true freshmen. And then suddenly we don't hear from them for, for a little bit. 
I'm thinking about DJ Turner here and, and David Ajabo, uh, Mozzie Smith, Christopher Hinton. You know, Chris Jenkins is, is he's, he's kind of younger. It's not like he was non-existent, but um, yeah, you, you're seeing breakout players everywhere. Lots of players who are, who are overachieving. And so Steve, I, I'm just curious, you know, what, what your kind of thoughts are on the significance of this win We'll talk about the staying power in a moment. That's the next question. But but just the significance of this team kind of building a identity about being physical, about being gritty in, a, in an era of college football where that isn't really what's winning games. What's winning games is speed, great passing attacks, you know, being really kind of a, a flashy team. Stars matter. And Michigan isn't untalented, but they are they are proving in a lot of ways that that, you know, this this physical style of football can still work if you have the right group around you. So your thoughts on, on the win and I guess the significance for the, for the Michigan football program. Uh, I think it takes, it, it, it removes a lot of the obstacles as far as maybe both within the program and, and outside of the program, just from a mental standpoint, I, I think this could really, you know, we talked a lot about, that they go back to that effort that Aiden, like the ringing me out, which actually Harbaugh brought that up again with uh, when he thought this team had a chance to be specially he said that Aiden Hutchinson set the tone. Like I said, I think in a similar way for the whole program, this, this level of success can really almost kind of take the pressure off of everybody and, and allow, and, and Michigan now knows that they belong, you know, from the top down, and I really think it, it is. It can be a big um, stepping stone, leaping point, or whatever you want to call it. You know, when Harbaugh says it's the beginning, or it feels like a beginning, it really does kind of feel like that. I think a lot of people, you know, Hutchinson, Ojabo excluded, felt like next year would maybe be the the potentially big year for Michigan because they are relatively young. I mean, they do they're still driven senior leadership on both sides of the football, but a lot of the more talented guys are going to be back again next year. So, you know, to, to get to kind of arrive, I guess you'd say a year ahead of schedule, uh, although within this, within the given context, it's still year six. I mean, people have been, you know, Michigan fans waiting, waiting for Michigan to kind of break through like this. But like I said, I think we thought maybe next year would be a good year for them to, to really have a shot uh, for them to do it this season when, when really nobody was picking them or, 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 you know, forecasting any of this is a really good confidence builder for pretty much every player, coach, staff member inside the program. Best way I could put it. Yeah. It's, it's a culture builder too. I, I think you, you mentioned the, the next year. I think seeing Has, you know, Hassan Haskins and how he ran, how he approached practice, that's going to impact five-star running back Donovan Edwards seeing how Aiden Hutchinson approached every practice, every you know snap, that's going to impact how the defense approaches practice in the future. I mean, there's going to be someone, and, and we don't know necessarily who it will be, but there's going to be an Aiden Hutchinson next year who's trying, who understands they have the opportunity to be, well, I mean, think about how much Aiden Hutchinson's, not only his draft value, oh, that's that's gone up quite a bit, but his his endorsement value. I mean, he's a national name and it's because it's because he produced on the field, but it's also because he was just absolutely relentless in practice. I've written so many stories about it. I almost feel bad writing another one uh, just about his contagious energy, his contagious work ethic. And, and as you mentioned, the uh, you know, he kind of going to, I, I loved how Jim Harbaugh put it on Saturday, Aiden Hutchinson, he came into the weight room hungry. And the strength and conditioning coaches said, okay, you got an all you eat, all you can eat buffet in here. And, um, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that, that, that has a chance to be residual. Um, you know, I, I think we don't know what the quarterback situation will look like next year. We're not going to make any assumptions, but JJ McCarthy probably learned some things from Cade McNamara this year about leadership, whether, you know, I, I don't know enough about the dynamic between the two. I don't know if it's J.J. McCarthy's job next year. Same time, if it is, you know, he's going to know what a Big Ten championship quarterback looks like as the leader. You can go along the offensive line, same kind of deal. 
um, really the, the overachieving part, because you mentioned it is a small senior class and or small, I guess, exiting class, right? Because we'll, we'll throw David Ajabo and Daxton Hill in there as players who are probably moving on. It could only end up being eight, nine players on the two deep that aren't a part of the team next year. And, and that, that's where maybe Michigan fans can get excited is that this, this top, you know, the senior leaders or the leaders of this team, it's a small group, but boy, did they have an impact on how this team practices, how this team operates. So the next question I have is, is, you know, this is a little early. We'll discuss it later in the, in the off season. It's not even the off season yet. We'll discuss it in the off season as well. Uh, but the staying power of, of this run Michigan is on, you know, you start looking ahead to next year. I look at the schedule. I see 10 wins on the schedule. Um, I feel very confident about 10 wins because of how Michigan played against Iowa as well. But, but even, you know, they, they get Wisconsin's off the schedule, Michigan state, Penn state are at home. Really it's that Ohio state road game. That's, that's the big question. Their non-conference schedule is, is nothing. Um, you know, it kind of, kind of looking at this roster, looking at where things are right now. I think, I think it's very conceivable that they could go into the Ohio state game next year. Once again, with everything on the table and we've talked about it, that's really, that should be goal number one for Michigan. You're not going to beat Ohio state every year. Lots of great Michigan teams have, have lost to Ohio state teams. It's, it's, it's something you aim for, but it's not necessarily a given. It's not something that you can be, you know, hopping mad that it didn't happen. But I think suddenly just in a span of like four months, Michigan went from a program with all sorts of questions surrounding it. You know, I think honestly, you and I both have discussed that there is a, there is a scenario where, where Michigan you know, loses a bunch of winnable games this season where Jim Harbaugh is out as head coach. It was not a given, you know, Michigan might act like it was, you know, they always knew it was coming. No, I don't think anyone did. And, and so, you know, we'll see what happens with transact, you know, like, like do, do some of these coaches start getting plucked? I'm sure it will happen in some capacity, uh, you know, really across the board, every position coach seemed to, seem to have a really significant impact on this team. You know, will players hit the portal? Of course they will. Uh, that's just kind of how things go. But Steve, your, your thoughts on the staying power of how Michigan pulled it off. Is this a one-off type of season? Maybe reminiscent to, uh, well, there's, there's, you know, non-Ohio State teams have had these seasons that were amazing, and then they struggled to, to bring it the next year. I think that there is a little staying power here. I think, I think suddenly there's a, there's a big weight off of Michigan's shoulders. You know, there's a weight off Jim Harbaugh's shoulder. There's a weight off the players' shoulders. They go into next offseason. Now, now, you know, part of it will be how do you keep that hunger? How do you stay humble? But I, I, I think that it doesn't have to be Michigan versus its own fans anymore. It doesn't have to be Michigan versus every national media outlet anymore. Like, there is there's belief in Michigan football and they don't have to, um, you know, the chip on the shoulder can be valuable, but it can also be a weight. It, it, it you know, and, and it can cause doubts, maybe not across the whole team. You know, I don't think Aiden Hutchinson was doubting Michigan heading into this season, but, but you do as a player, I mean, you are bound to, you know, even if you try to block out all the noise, you're not going to block out all the noise. And so I think maybe, believing in the process, believing that this system and this culture can work, I think can have a, have a pretty strong residual effect. And I do think there is some staying power heading into next season. I, I would not be surprised if Michigan is a preseason top five, top six team. Now maybe, maybe Michigan fans are like, Hey, whoa, 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 start them unranked again, make them, you know, do the unranked to the, to the postseason. But I, I think that there is a, there's a very, as you kind of said, Next year was the year that I think a lot of people, even a little bit internally, were kind of circling as, as the year where, where things really start to come together, you know, with all the, the good recruiting in 2020 and 2021. It came a little early, 
So your thoughts on the staying power of, of Michigan's run right now? Well, I mean, the 19, 20, 21 classes are all among the most talented in the country. So you, you'd think, you know, you combine that. We talked about after the Ohio state game, that, uh, that, that desire to want to have that feeling again, along with the natural progression of guys, which one other storyline that we beat to death early in the season, haven't talked as much about lately is mostly on the, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, we're seeing young guys emerge much faster than we did under Don Brown. I think that's one of the other really huge things to talk yes. about. Junior, Junior Colson named a uh, freshman All-American today by 24-7 Sports. Uh, Jalen Harrell had maybe his best game of the season against Iowa on Saturday. Uh, Rod Moore, obviously, another one. Uh, yep. Even if, even if he even, plays a full season, he's a freshman All-American. Right. I, I was actually wondering that this morning. I, I didn't even really look to see who they named at defensive back. But um, and then he probably doesn't. Uh, based on the numbers I saw, and it's not all a numbers game, but that is one way to quantify when I don't get to see every team every weekend. I, I think they made the right call, I think. But sure. if Rod Moore had started the whole season, he probably is getting one of those nods. Right. So. There you go. And even a guy like Turner, who's been around for a little bit, but really this is his first year of really, really getting an opportunity. So that's one area, too, where I think if you're Michigan going forward, I think there's got to be a lot of confidence. I think one other big storyline next season, people can forget about it right now. You're not going to get the production at the edge spot that you got this season. I don't care who you've recruited or what you're bringing. I mean, there's almost no way. The good news is, the, it, it might be the opposite next year where the interior, the, the ability of the guys in the interior can create more opportunities for the guys on the outside. Uh, Chris Hinton played his best game as a Michigan Wolverine on Saturday against Iowa. I think the pro football focus numbers backed it up, but Hinton flashed in a big way at the absolute right time. You talk about, you know, a kid, all the talent in the world who's been getting there, but hasn't quite. I thought yesterday, I thought Saturday was a, a big big step for him and, and he's going to be someone Michigan's going to need against Georgia and theoretically whoever they would play if, if they were to get past the Bulldogs. So, you know, yeah, I think what, I think you're seeing, there's a, there's a good combination of factors in Michigan's favor. Like you said, the schedule is always an underrated factor. This year's schedule was brutal. Uh, really. That's another one of the kind of impressive things about Michigan being where they are now is the one of the biggest hurdles was looked like their schedule. Really, uh, it's a team. I think I said we said eight, four, nine, and three, whatever. But one of the reasons was I think Michigan's a better team than what that record is. But it's just a tough slate, you know. I believe now, we both said they could be a top twenty-five team, and it might not show. Right. Yes. The record. Yeah. But they they were they did benefit. You're you're. It's such a great point that the schedule is such an underrated part. Well, it sounds like Wisconsin, excuse, it sounds like excuse making when you're talking no, about like you, yeah. right. So, but Wisconsin, Washington, Penn State, Indiana, those are all teams that I think people thought might be top twenty-five. To, even Northwestern was being at least floated around as a potential top twenty-five team. I don't think maybe Penn State, Penn State, and Wisconsin, you could argue were top twenty-five caliber teams, but you know Washington, Dud, Indiana, Dud, Northwestern, Dud. So, so one thing that did help. Now Michigan earned it against Ohio State. We're not we're not I'm not taking anything away from the Wolverines here. But one thing that did help them maybe build some momentum was that Washington, especially early, Washington and Wisconsin were kind of were human. They weren't powerhouse teams when Michigan played them. And and so that helped Michigan maybe get some momentum and, and find its footing a little bit. Because I don't think Michigan one thing I give Michigan a lot of credit for is they're way better now than they were at the beginning of the season, they did actually improve. Right. So what Michigan state, I mean, obviously Michigan state won, but turned out to be a lot better than thought, but, but really it was um, even though like it was those, the road slate, you know, and Wisconsin didn't turn out to be as, maybe as good as people thought and Penn state didn't either, but those are still difficult places to win. Those are places yeah. you'd rather play them at your place than at their place. So right. Nebraska uh, too. Yeah. that in there. Yep. Absolutely. So there's that. And then, yeah, I mean, 
the quarterback situation looks like it's in better, better in a better spot than it's been in years. Uh, at one and two, regardless of how that turns out, you know Donovan Edwards looks like a star. I mean, Donovan Edwards looks like a guy. Whenever he becomes the guy, could be a, a Heisman candidate type back. Really, if you talk about well, obviously his ability to run the ball, but all the other stuff that he can do in the passing game. I mean, it's just a guy. He that, looks like somebody that like would absolutely. He's such an X factor for the playoffs. Big time. We'll talk about it in a moment, but like he he looks like someone that could be a. I don't know how they'll use him. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but he looks like someone that could break a playoff caliber defense. Yep, yep, I agree. That's what we talked about after the Maryland. That was my first point after the Maryland game. That 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 wrinkle, that dynamic. I mean, it's it's scored them two big touchdowns now in the last in their last two games. You know, the the first touchdown against Ohio State was was completely driven by Ohio State's having to respect him in the passing game, uh, and then the same with Iowa on the, on the double pass. So. You know, Michigan utilizing that to the fullest extent. And, and there's almost limitless things you can do with a guy like that. You can line up in the backfield who, who's as much of a threat in, in a few different ways. So, so yeah, I mean, a lot of things going in Michigan's favor. Uh, you know, because I absolutely do. I think they have staying power 100%. I mean, I'm with you. I look at the schedule next year. Bodes well, you know. I'd rather play Iowa at Kinnick in October than November. Um, Even if you get stuck with the night game there. Fair point. I, it'll be a challenge, but, but to, to those who don't know the schedule off the top of the head, um, their road games are at Iowa. It doesn't, I think officially say the switch yet, but at Indiana at Rutgers at Ohio state, that's Do we it. Think, are they, they're going to have to change the, like like the order that they're playing these games and also one thing I mean are they are they going to end the season on a three game like four or a three game road road stand yeah I noticed that I I don't know if they can I I, those seem pretty set in stone just kind of weird that Michigan's last home game will be on October 29th you know it's just a an odd right because they have a bye week and then they have three straight road games so it is it is interesting and but but it's it's eight home games and really only two of the road games, in my opinion, especially now that Penix has entered the transfer portal, you know, I don't, I don't really think Rutgers and Indiana, you, you talk about some teams you'd really rather play at home. I don't think those two teams are, are those kind of teams. Sure. You know, it's really Ohio state and Iowa. And then, then obviously you have to hold off Michigan state and Penn state. But I mean, you're talking about four games that are maybe, you know, worrisome to Michigan. It's you got you get Maryland, Nebraska, Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, you, you, you kind of kind of a lot of teams that Michigan will be able to beat up on. It's kind of, I would maybe argue that it's the easiest schedule Michigan's had in in a long time. I mean, sure. probably since like the Big Ten was down, it was maybe the last time like down across the board was maybe the last time it's been this easy. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I guess I would that 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 non-conference cupcake schedule, something I've advocated for for years, because there is no reason. Particularly, again, I mean, I know these schedules are set years ahead of time, but when you're a preseason top ten team, to me, there's almost no reason to schedule a a really difficult non-conference game because right or wrong, and to me, it's wrong. Uh, those preseason perceptions can help you, uh, you know, down the road, regardless of what your record is. The fact you were ranked high in the preseason, almost it does, it gives you a head start on everybody else. So for a school like Michigan, yeah, who probably will be preseason top five next season, right? I I mean, so, you know, barring some unforeseen departures to the draft maybe, or, or portal. uh, But if they bring back the guys that we expect them to bring back, they're going to be a preseason top 10 for sure probably top five. Um, so no reason to, you know, really the fact they don't have a really hard, difficult preseason matchup or a, a non-conference matchup is, is a big thing in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, all of these teams that make the playoffs do play other power five teams in non-conference play. Um, 
obviously Cincinnati had to, but, but I mean, you'd be really, I don't think that there's been one playoff team that hasn't played a power five team in non-conference play. Um, Sometimes it's, it's not that hard. And I think that would be Michigan's approach. If I were them is, is like, look at the bottom tier of some of these power five programs. See if you can, get some of them to agree to, to just coming into an like an Oregon state, maybe not Oregon state now, but, but there was a time where Oregon state would come to Michigan and Michigan didn't have to do a home and home. Or I think Colorado's another program that did that. Um, you know, thinking like maybe like a Texas tech Vanderbilt. Cause it, it's probably good. It, it, it's good for the fans because like, there's actually some excitement and, and, but it's also good for the program you know, you don't want the first time your players are sweating to be a night game at Kinnick. Same time, that's a discussion for another day. And and, and I agree with you in the four-team system, Michigan, who plays in a very competitive division, does not benefit from taking on... Well, think think about, like, Clemson. Their season was over when they lost to Georgia because the ACC was never going to be strong enough. I guess it wasn't technically over. But I think, it, you know, Michigan, they have built-in ranked matchups two or three or four each year. With Wisconsin off the schedule, maybe that's one less. But, but yeah, it's um, the, the cost of playing a top tier, like an Oklahoma, a Texas, can sometimes outweigh the benefit of, of playing those teams, at least, at least under the current system. All right, last question before we hit a break. We'll turn the attention back to this team. They do have a game. They play Georgia in the Orange Bowl, in the college football playoff. This team looks really good. Michigan looks extremely, extremely good right now. If there was one, is there one lasting weakness? I, I think a lot of these questions that I've had about this team have, have kind of been answered over the last two weeks. I mean, you are suddenly looking at a team that that is, they're not a fraud. I don't think they're, they're like a fake top four team. I mean, I think, I think you beat Ohio State the way you did, and I think you beat Iowa the way you did. Uh, not a lot of teams in the country can pull that off. And, and you know, I think one question I always had was maybe the the cornerbacks and, and their kind of the deep ball coverage if, if the pass rush isn't quite there. But I think DJ Turner has answered that. I, I want to give a shout-out to his him because his PFF numbers are insane. He's been targeted 54 times this season. He has allowed 22 completions, 225 yards. He's allowed two touchdowns, but he also has two interceptions and eight pass breakups. I mean, you're talking about a 40% completion percentage. You're talking about less than five yards per attempt. It looks like around four yards per attempt. And you have either deflected or intercepted one out of five passes thrown your way and almost half the amount of completions you've allowed. So he really answered a lot of questions for me. I think if there was one area that I I think is still a weakness is probably that tight end coverage, the slot receiver coverage, the linebackers um, just, you know, Iowa, there were some adjustments made by Michigan's defense that, that ironed it out. But early on, I mean, it looked like Iowa was going to be able to maybe move the football in that method. So that might be one question. I think the the consistent passing game might be another one just in terms of what's holding them back from being national champions. I think, I think the passing game can now kind of re-enter the focus as, all right, Michigan's still moving the football. They're still scoring 42 points against a good defense like Iowa. But is, are there better defenses on the schedule? Steve, what is maybe one weakness or concern area that, that you still have about Michigan as they head into the college football playoff? No, you hit the nail on the head with the tight end stuff. And, and that's not good for Michigan as uh, Brock Bowers really could be the best tight end in the country as a true freshman. Uh, yeah. 24 seven named him. Actually, matter of fact, I think that was the one thing I tweeted during the Georgia Alabama game was my only takeaway from that game is that Brock Bowers is elite. And, uh, you know, 24 seven named him true freshman of the year today, regardless of position. 
So Michigan is absolutely going to have their work cut out for them in that regard. And the difference there is that Georgia, unlike Iowa, who, yeah, their best, Laporta's Iowa's best receiver, maybe best offensive player, uh, Georgia has receivers too. You know, Iowa, it was, I think they had two receivers that had over 200 yards or something this year, some really ridiculously low number. I mean, Georgia's got other guys. So, you know, slowing Bowers down is going to be a, a huge, that'd be the biggest question for me, for Michigan defensively. Offensively, um, I don't know. You know, they've diversified, they've, they've, you think maybe they don't have like a, do they have a guy they can feed? You know, uh, if need in the be. receiving game, I yeah, see. particularly at receiver too. I mean, I do think Eric All is maybe a guy you can. Eric All starting to look more and more like a Jake Butt type receiver, but then then you have Schoonmaker also really taking off the last half of the season as well. But but at receiver, do you really have a guy you can? Who are they going to on a third and five? You know, it's like one of the you could argue it's a strength and a weakness. Is like it feels like there are a lot of different guys they could go to on a third and five, but you know, when you're playing you're in the, the college football playoffs, you're playing against like teams like Georgia, Alabama, uh, might not be as easy to get some of these guys open. You know, you might need somebody who can make a play and uh, who would that be for them? I think is maybe, you know, it is nitpicky to be honest, because I still think Michigan's just diversity offensively has been arguably their biggest strength. I mean, I, I don't really know how you kind of attack them. You know, you got to obviously get to get to the quarterback if you're any defense. And, and I think that's big for Georgia, whoever, but you know, as far as like slowing down what they're actually trying to do, you know, it's like, it's, it's going to be an interesting question on the Georgia side of the coin. So yeah, maybe just a guy who, who you can, a number one, like an, a, an actual number one, you know, that they, I don't know if they could really say that they have one. So uh, that might be it. But again, I feel like that's, a little bit grasping at straws because you know you have a quarterback who is one thing about McNamara I feel like he's really developed over the course of the year is not focusing on one guy you know doesn't force passes yes I mean the only the only time he forced the one pass on the first drive the uh was the second drive against Ohio State and and never Mm -hmm. came even close to forcing a ball after that point so you know, that's, it's, you could say it's already, it's kind of a strength for them, but I also, like I said, it'd be interesting to see if maybe a, a Cornelius Johnson or a Roman Wilson can kind of maybe ascend even a little bit further um, as they head into a yeah playoff game. Yeah. I think, I think it's a big strength of McNamara's. I think it's also something like he, he, he doesn't force passes so much that I almost think Michigan's coaches would like like him to force a little bit more obviously at this point in the season just just move the football and don't turn it over um but but yeah I, I'm with you I think I think that when I see uh, when I see these crazy balanced stats that Michigan's receivers have I, I think in some ways it's good because it's unpredictability you know Iowa was completely caught off guard you know with with some of the plays Michigan was doing in the first half and I think I think Michigan actually felt comfortable I don't think they were, were were like sticking to a vanilla game plan but they they weren't trying anything too creative in the second half and 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 at that point they just worn Iowa down a little bit but yeah you think about like AJ Henning can come out of nowhere and make all sorts of different plays you know, Roman Wilson Donovan Edwards we talked about him um yeah but I think the one thing that is concerning when you see those balanced receiving stats is is someone consistently getting open? Is there a matchup nightmare? Because you are going to play some very good defenses. Uh, one very good one, I guess, in the semifinal. Speaking of that, we are going to hit a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk about the playoff field and, and some of our early impressions of Georgia. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So, Steve, you and I are kind of on the same page about Georgia in that they haven't they, – they, they're the number three seed. Uh, Michigan is number two. Alabama is number one. Cincinnati is number four. I, I actually think I, – I kind of did some reading on, like, some of the numbers that I use to assess a team. I kind of looked back on some of the schedules. I kind of looked back on some of the scores that, that Georgia and, and these other teams have put up. I actually think Michigan, or I think the playoff committee actually got this top four right. I think I'm kind of with you that Georgia maybe was given a little bit too much benefit of the doubt. But then I went back and looked at at how they beat the teams that they beat. It's not their fault that the SEC East is is terrible, and Georgia, to its credit, clobbered the SEC East like it wasn't even close. I mean, if there's a if there's a good team from the Big Ten West that's beating everybody by twenty plus points, are they worse because they're from the Big Ten West just because they lost to the Big Ten East champion in the in the title game? So, I actually think that that Alabama one, Michigan two, Georgia three, Cincinnati four was correct with Notre Dame and Ohio State five and six. Maybe you could argue about Baylor, but eh. Steve, what are, what are your thoughts on this on this field? Ultimately, it probably didn't matter because I don't think – I mean, I kind of joked if Michigan had been one, then Georgia would have been number four. They, they, I don't think they wanted Alabama-Georgia necessarily in, in the semifinal matchup. But your thoughts on this four-team field, did, did the committee get it right? And, and in your mind, did, did Michigan – I thought they had a case for number one. I think Alabama deserves to be number one. But, but kind of your thoughts on the field and the seating that they put together? Uh, I thought they got it wrong. I, I mean, I, before they put the seedings out, I, I said it should be Michigan one, Bama two, Cincinnati three, Georgia four, but I said it will be Bama one, Michigan two, Georgia three, Cincinnati four. So Michigan's loss is better than Alabama's loss and their, their best wins I think are very debatable because I, I, you're right that Georgia can't help that the rest of the SEC East was no good, but it's just the SEC, the rest of the SEC East was no good. You could argue with Clemson being as bad as they turned, relatively speaking. I mean, what Clemson three losses in the regular season? I mean, yeah, probably a top twenty-five team in a lot of maybe not in the rankings, but in a lot of metrics. Like they, they actually were quality, yeah, but not as bad. But, but even then. That was probably their, like Clemson or Arkansas, was probably their best win. So, you know, I again, it's it's maybe it's all for naught. I don't know if it would have changed anything, but you know, it, basically, I still had the same teams that are meeting up, meeting up again. I, I just, I do think Michigan had a little bit more of a case. Uh, part of, I, I tried not to let watching Auburn completely give the game away against Alabama last week, cloud my, uh, my judgment on it. But I, I kept kind of thinking about that game when talking about, if you thought Michigan and Alabama were pretty close, you know, I mean, that's a, Auburn absolutely uh, should have won that football game. So either way, I guess it does it change a ton. Not, not really. Um, you know, I don't know if the, you might have to educate me here. The venue would have been the same. I mean, this, this was, like right, um, I kind of had the impression that both teams would have picked Dallas. I don't know that for a fact, but that's that's what the rumblings were. Okay, uh, I I think I don't think it really makes it. I guess maybe Georgia would travel a little better to Miami. Sure, Dallas is technically closer to Michigan, and my understanding is that the Texas alumni presence in Michigan is is a little 100. bit larger than the one in, in South Florida. Makes sense. Um, not a huge difference. I mean, they were going to probably play Georgia either way. Right. And it's going to be far away, but in a place, I mean, Michigan's going to pack the house either way. I, I think 
I think this, I think fans, you know, they did the same thing for the Big Ten tournament. They're like, you know, it's going to be a Michigan takeover. And Michigan traveled really well, but so did Iowa. I mean, teams are excited, you know, fans are excited about these championship games. So um, I, I imagine that the crowd will probably be about 50 50 in the playoff, no matter who they're playing or where they're playing. Right. Um, as far as. So that's what, I mean, yeah, I just, I thought. Like the other thing I tweeted, I still feel, I mean, the, the question would have been who, you know, cause like, like I said, I said before Georgia and Alabama even played, I asked like what Georgia's best win was knowing if Georgia beat Alabama, they would rightfully probably be number one. Uh, but I think a lot of like, I mean, some people did pick Alabama, but I think a lot of people like thought this was going to be the one that Georgia would you know, this would finally be the Georgia team, but, but it really wasn't even that close of a game, you know? And so, but the, the question was who would be that number five, you know, I got to think, I, I just, I'm, I'm surprised that they kept Georgia above Cincinnati, honestly. Um, and I don't necessarily think they should have the, you know, Cincinnati's win over Notre Dame miles better. I can't like, I can't believe I'm going pro Cincinnati on this because you know, they really don't play in a legitimate conference compared to most of these other teams get fighting for a spot. But, you know, I, it just felt like Georgia really failed their one true test of the season. And even that game against Clemson was, what, 10 to 3 or something was the final score. You know, at, yeah, the, t- at, yeah. at the time it was just, it was thought to be such an impressive win. Then you realize that Clemson's offense, not very good this year. Uh, Georgia did beat Arkansas 37. Right. That's when Arkansas one, was feeling itself a little that's bit. That's the one game. But even then, what does Arkansas have? Four losses, three losses, four losses. You know, um, you could say Michigan's win over Iowa on Saturday. A lot more, imp- like as impressive as Georgia's win over Arkansas, for argument's sake. You know, so who not- is, so Cincinnati, it's Notre Dame, impressive. Home against Houston, I think it's impressive. Is there a third one? Because I'm looking at like, yeah, I don't know. Everyone has different sites that they cite for their strength of schedule. Uh, Georgia in, in ESPN's FBI strength of schedule, Georgia is number 20. Michigan is 21. Cincinnati is 87. Right. I mean, the American. I guess like, it's, it's not so much about, cause I agree. Hey, I, I've been, I was like, I've been, my thought is like, I don't see how, that's the game that, you know, like you said, Houston, like, I just don't like Cincinnati was at three. Don't think they should move down after that bump Georgia back to four. And if they're talking about the not wanting a rematch in the semis, I think a lot of people made a, a great point uh, when they played for the national title, it had like the lowest ratings of any national title game in. But years. if you think those two teams are going to play in the national title, then those are the they, they shouldn't play each other in the semifinal. Right, but I, I I I don't know. My thought I just I don't I just don't like the idea of, of Cincinnati being bumped after probably their second most impressive win of the season and Georgia completely failing their stiffest test. Maybe their only their, their only stiff test. Of the, I mean, Bam, Bam was up by two touchdowns the majority of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really no, was they not, were. Right? They were. It really wasn't even that close. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, the the ironic thing is, I mean, George is still absolutely good enough, like to win the win the whole thing. I think, but just we're going off resume, not who has the best roster, et cetera, et cetera. My biggest thing was if 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 Florida State, North Carolina, Stanford, and USC weren't all total garbage this year that Notre Dame would have had a real yes and their strong real... finish that's something I would argue for right is 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 a strong finish because you can say George is good enough to win the whole thing maybe I'm wrong there I think Alabama showed that they were consi- like significantly better than Georgia right, right right and and Notre Dame at least you don't you just don't know because right. it's been so long since they lost they did get on a roll their schedule was weak but kind of some unluck on the schedule too because like yeah. normally their schedule this year would be that'd be a gauntlet yep you know i mean those are like that's that's a tougher schedule than most power five conference schedules are and that's you that's even taking cincinnati 
out of the equation who they lost to, you know, uh, Purdue was solid this year. So, yeah, I mean, really it was, there was no fifth team. I don't think like that you could not put, I don't think, you know, you could put Notre Dame in over Georgia, but I just, I thought Michigan should have gotten the bump with the way they won. Uh, but again, it's really, it's almost semantics because, because this, yeah. I have the same two matchups either way. Right. Well, but, but one thing that would be interesting is if Oklahoma state had won on Saturday, who's getting bumped out of the field is Oklahoma state getting left out. Is Georgia getting bumped out? Because I would have thought Georgia would be bumped out with the way they lost to Alabama. But, but if they stayed at three. Yep, that's you know, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, right? so, 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 so if, if Cincinnati's not getting bumped, but maybe Georgia is, then yeah, they should be number four. I would have, if, if Oklahoma State had won that game, I, my honest, my top four would have been Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State. I'm sorry, but if if Georgia had played Alabama closer, I think it'd have been a, there'd have been a yeah. legit. But but it was not it was not that close of a game. Like Alabama was in total control for the vast majority of the game, and I think that that matters when it's your it does, only because, real test. Because if you're going to set up a rematch, the only you know teams get blown out in the playoffs all the time. But but at least give the opportunity to teams to find out if they're going to get blown out. Right. If you already know Georgia is a step below Alabama, then the value of, of setting up that game again just isn't really there. And that's why I was against them playing in the semifinals because they literally just played. If, 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 you, if you think those teams should run it back, then put someone else in. Find out if Notre Dame is just as bad. Alabama just showed that they were better than Georgia. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think, I think if Oklahoma State had won, I, I think Georgia would have been bumped. So then, so then, is the playoff committee really believing Georgia is the number three team, or are they just trying to avoid the rematch? Which I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, Michigan, Cincinnati, they're going to have to play both of those teams. Georgia's going to have. I mean. Someone has to go two and zero, and and so I guess it doesn't really matter, really make that much of a difference. Regardless, let's let's take a look at this this matchup. We'll we'll do more of a preview down the line, but I, I'm a, I'm a little struck by how similar Georgia is to Michigan in that good defense, great defense. Um, another team that that maybe has has come a game or two short a few times over the past few years. I know they did play in the national title game, but uh, I believe it was 2017 they did, but you know, it seems like they, they have like this, those random road losses down the line or, or that loss to the, to the most talented team in the conference, you know, Alabama, Ohio state. Uh, but yeah, really good defenses, offenses with really good run games and, and passing games that maybe that work, but maybe you're not, shaking in your boots necessarily about that, that seem human. Steve, what are some of your initial thoughts on, on Georgia? I didn't get to watch the entire Georgia Alabama game because I had to, I had to get to the stadium and, and, you know, cover Michigan, but did that game change your perception of Georgia's vulnerability in, in your mind and maybe some initial thoughts on, on what this Georgia team looks like? It definitely humanized that defense that has gotten a lot of praise this year, humanized uh, Jordan Davis in the middle, who some people were talking about him as like a Heisman candidate. Uh, He felt like a non-factor for the majority of the game. I know there were a couple of clips of him, like literally like basically just standing like they, like Alabama gassed him out almost. Uh, But even without that, notwithstanding, like he just was not the dominant force that, I think a lot of people thought he would be in that game. You know, that that's so that that's the difference when you have talent, like Georgia's so talented that I think that it's, they're always a team that's going to be capable of turning it on and beating anybody. Uh, but this definitely created a little bit of, it did, it kind of eliminated a little bit of the aura. I think that that had surrounded. I mean, there were people were just confidently picking them to win the whole thing this year. And again, Alabama made it look 
kind of easy. That's with John Mechie being out for a bulk of the game too, with a, would end up being a season ending knee injury. You know, he's their best receiver. Jamison Williams torched them pretty, pretty badly. Uh, don't know what that means for Michigan though. Cause you know, Bryce young, obviously the best quarterback at well, Ritter Ritter's really good too, but, but I would take young over any of the other three quarterbacks in the playoff and Jamison Williams, probably the best skill position player left in the playoffs too. So I don't know if it's a situation where Georgia just got beat by an elite quarterback wide receiver combo. I'm not sure Michigan presents those same types of challenges, but Michigan does have that, like I said, a very multifaceted attack. I mean, I'm just fascinated to see if Michigan can can run the football well enough against a, a an elite SEC defense to open everything else up. You know, will Georgia even will they just keep seven in the box, which I suspect they're going to attempt to do, and slow down Haskins, Corum, Edwards, whatever. You know, th- like that's the biggest initial question because I, I don't think you know Michigan is not. I'll be shocked if they change anything about their approach. I think they're going to come in and try to run the football allow it to open everything else up. So yeah, it it definitely, you know, I feel like one of the storylines of this game is, is going to be, it's cause it's going to be mostly about Georgia. It's going to be like, you know, how does Georgia respond after getting punched in the mouth against Alabama? You know, will the real, will, will Georgia rebound? It's going to be less about what Michigan is bringing to the table. than it'll be about Georgia having to answer some questions, but yeah, initial thoughts are, yeah, similar teams, uh, I, I, somebody posted this on the board and I actually agree. I want to, I'm kind of curious to see if you think the same thing. I think Michigan has an advantage at coach. And I also think Michigan has an advantage at quarterback. I, and those are two very right. I possible. Mean, I, th- I think, I think quarterback, I, uh, I guess we'll have to see because I think, I think both quarterbacks – I mean, it's, it's ironic that both of them have five-star quarterbacks on the bench. Yeah. Um, well, different so, situations. <laughs> right, right. But, but, it's, but yeah, still – It's no kind of like they both have the the lukewarm – and I, I'm not saying that as a slight to Cade McNamara, but I'm talking about what the what the fan perception is when the fans' expectations are national titles. Because I don't think either team is built to win a national title through its quarterback. It's like they're they're good at everything else, and so – um, I don't think either team would trade their quarterback for the other. Maybe Georgia would after Al- the Alabama loss, actually. So, so in that sense, then maybe, maybe they do have. A, I, I, I think you could talk me into there being an advantage at coaching. I, I think. I mean, both coordinators are just putting on clinics right now, and and the way that they coached against Ohio State and and obviously Iowa. Um, yeah, it just feels like there's adjustments, feels like there's a lot of wrinkles, feels like there's there's still stuff that they haven't shown yet, which is very impressive. So I think you could talk me into that, and, and it will obviously be tested because now there's four weeks. Both these staffs are going to be game planning against each other like crazy. I mean, it's like a chess match that's got 27 days to prepare or 25 days, 24 days, whatever it is. You could talk me into those things, though. Yeah, I mean, Georgia, again, I think the, a lot of the questions are going to be the same. Like, is is Georgia a high-octane version of Iowa offensively? Now, as I just looked at the box score from the Alabama game, and I've now I've happened to watch Alabama quite a bit. I have not watched Georgia a ton, but if Brock Bowers, 10 catches for 139 yards. Uh, a lot of nothing after that. Two catches for 41 for George Pickens, three for 36 for Jermaine Burton. Um, James Cook with four, you know, they, they like throw it to their running backs quite a bit. I just, tight end is their best play. He's their best player, best receiver, or best offensive player, probably best receiver. Um, you know, that that that's one thing that stood out. And then also Alabama did not necessarily, I'd be interested to know if, Nick Saban and company believe that they ran the ball well. Statistically, it doesn't look like they did. Didn't feel like that's that's the difference between having a 
a quarterback that can make plays out of the pocket, though. I think that's one of the reasons why Young is the favorite for the Heisman. But it kind of appears that Alabama did not have to go run heavy to open things up in the passing game. So, you know, that'll be interesting. Alabama also did slow down Georgia's rushing attack pretty effectively. Man, I mean, Cook, McIntosh, and White were all, like, top 100 type kids for Georgia. I mean, they, they're pretty – they have – a lot of depth at that position. Um, be interesting to see, you know, Zamir White was, I want to say he was the number one ranked back in his class. If not, he was close. So, you know, I, I kind of look at, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm talking myself into this, but looking at Georgia as like a, what Iowa wishes it could be type thing, because it is, it feels like they're predicated on defense, running the football and, having an elite, you know, Georgia, that's the other thing I kind of joked during the game about, you know, Georgia finally has a top 100 tight end. That's so good that they have no choice, but to produce because Georgia has recruited I think just strictly from a recruiting standpoint, they've recruited tight end better than probably any team in the country, but have had almost nothing to show for it. Uh, You know, with, with guys like Darnell Washington, hasn't done anything. Isaac Nauta was solid, but not, five-star like he was ranked coming out of high school you know and, and Bowers is finally you know feels like a, the type of player they've kind of wanted and been looking for at that tight end spot so yeah I mean it'll be it'll be interesting to see I think Michigan I, I do think though I, I feel good about believing Michigan has the advantage at quarterback and at coach what's fascinating I don't know how deep it's gotten but there is there are some cat calls some some talk for for JT Daniels to to maybe start yeah, there are Yep. Right. And that 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 might be a fascinating storyline to watch, because, again, Georgia, not a team I saw a ton of this season. But I one thing I kept note that I did kind of wonder is like, why? What's the purpose of staying with Bennett over Daniels here? And, and, and they've you know, I mean, Daniels didn't even play on Saturday, never even came in. So, you, I mean, I got to think that Bennett will be the guy that will start, but it might be something to kind of potentially keep an eye on. It, it is. It is. I, I think, you know, my, my thoughts in this matchup, I, you know, I'm looking at PFF's grades this season. Georgia is going to be, they, they graded out in coverage better than Washington. Washington was the best coverage team Michigan faced this season, as evidenced by the, the run pass differential. They're a better run defense than Wisconsin, who was the best run defense Michigan faced this season and really quieted Michigan's rushing attack. Um, so and and the thing that stands out to me is they have they have linebackers and safeties who are elite in coverage. You know, it's not just a couple lockdown corners. They they really can cover the whole field. You know, I think I think the coaching I I think you're kind of right. I do think Georgia has found something in its defense. And it it it's I'll have to unpack. I I want to read more about it, but there is some interesting wrinkles that they've had this season that have really forced SEC offenses to rethink how they approach even recruiting, you know, just in like, they're, they're really shutting down a lot of this read option stuff. Not that Michigan runs at a ton, but some of the things that they're able to do, some of the wrinkles are able to do. It's not just a bunch of top 100 recruits running around playing well. I mean, they are a very well coached defense. I think the big question will just be, yeah, can Michigan, bring it on its defense too. And, and they are, they are really good offensive line. You know, I think, I think George's offensive line is quite good. Um, you mentioned the running backs as well. Maybe Alabama did well. And so that, that's maybe where you, you look at the, that's the humanizing element, right? Is, is if Alabama's defense can kind of have its way a little bit, you got to think Michigan's can, because Alabama's defense has struggled quite a bit this season. So yeah, I think um, I, I, there's a lot to lot to discuss. I I just boy, Georgia's defense is going to be because I don't. I think Michigan can can spread the ball around. I think they can challenge Georgia. You know, I think about plays like when when you have Eric All in a fullback situation, he's motioning, and then he's this lead blocker outside the tackles. I mean, it, you know, Michigan can do stuff like that in a way that other programs can't do. Not just in the Big Ten, but also in the SEC, they can have slot receivers doing these end arounds with speed that even Ohio state can't necessarily keep up with. So I think there is, 
little pockets here and there for optimism, but man, it is going to be tough. I mean, imagine a defense that has Washington's coverage ability and Wisconsin's defensive front, you know, and how they can stop the run. And, and we'll, we'll throw in Iowa's linebackers to really complete the, the D I mean, it's, that's, um, that's a tough ask to, to be that good in all three levels. Michigan's going to have its work cut out for it, but I I'm with you. I think, I think there is, they, they look more human than they have. And, and it's notable that that's really, Alabama's really the only team that Georgia has played this season that compares to Michigan in terms of physicality. Maybe not quite in terms of talent, but in terms of effective talent, because I think you know, Florida, that was clearly a team that was not well coached. Um, I'm trying to think who else they played that was really high. Clemson, clearly something was amiss with that offense early on so well, anyway that's gonna do it for us for steve lorenz i'm zach shaw this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast be sure to check out all of our written stories i will have five five initial thoughts on georgia will be out, up today basketball season's here big 10 basketball begins tuesday uh michigan plays at nebraska seemed like they got a little bit of momentum against san diego state so so we'll have to see how that looks uh in their first big 10 road game they also play minnesota on saturday so yeah never a dull moment (laughs) with with michigan athletics at least in in november and now december so this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast hope you had fun hope you learned something we'll see you next time